Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Rob, thanks for taking some time to join me on the show. No worries, Owen. Thanks for having me and good to be here today. Yeah, it's always good. Um, we've done a lot of these over the years and it's uh, it's always good to chat. Um, obviously, now it's got the roadshow coming up. So if you're in any of these cities as follows, Adelaide, Melbourne, Brisbane, Newcastle, Perth, Canberra, or Sydney, basically everywhere, uh, come along to a NAOS roadshow. It's free and you can get some tea and coffee and maybe even like a sandwich or something to eat and meet the team and talk investing. We're going to share two ideas from Rob today. And we're going to talk about investment process for small cap investors. So mate, to kick things off, um, I'm just very curious why you've chosen to spend you know, your career investing in small, smaller companies, private companies. Like why, why did you choose that over, say, large cap stocks, global stocks, whatever? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Owen. And I can confirm there will be food at the uh, the roadshows <laughs> as well for all those out there that that will be hungry. So, but um, to the to the question that you've posed, look, I think for for me personally, and I'm sure everyone's different, but I find that emerging companies there's just so much to learn, like every single day. Um, and that you know, this is going to sound quite cliche, but it's it's true. Every day, there's different dynamics in different sectors and industries and 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 market movements. Uh, that for me personally, and, and I know the team as well, there's always something to learn, something to improve um, our knowledge of, uh, you know, whether one day that might be, we might be looking at cybersecurity companies, the next day we might be looking at the Australian housing market or, you know, how mm. the hay, hay industry works. There's always something uh, interesting <laughs> to learn. And, and we think as well with that knowledge and I suppose our investment philosophy, which we'll, we'll no doubt touch on, our ability to do research and I suppose value add through what we can uh, do in our research process. Um, I suppose it lends itself well to being able to provide value to investors in the smaller cap area. And that's not to say you can't learn a lot in large caps as well or globally, but just for what we do, we think um, it, it very much aligns um, to, to our way of thinking. Mm. Especially here in Australia, right? Like there's Australia, New Zealand, you could probably take both markets, but um, the way... You know, the, I would say the information asymmetry around um, the ability to go out and research industries and actually just speak with people is like a huge advantage if you're willing to do the work. Um, whereas other markets, like 
there could be like 30 analysts come, covering Commonwealth Bank or go over to the US. If you're looking at Apple, there's going to be who knows how many, probably hundreds. So um, the ability to actually use information and piece together things and then apply the analytical ability, it makes it very unique as an opportunity set. Um, having spoken to you guys a lot over the years and seen you invest, uh, I know that a lot of what you do is very long-term focused, but other than that, for folks that maybe haven't had kind of the induction into the way you guys think about um, smaller companies, about private companies, but however you want to frame this, I'm looking to start from the top down. Like how did you build the investment philosophy and what are you trying to do every day? And then we'll drop down into the investment process. Sure. So I'll start with the investment philosophy. and I'll rattle off, I suppose, a few key points that we like to think about. Firstly, it's, I suppose it's a value approach, but it is very much with the long-term growth aspect as well. So we're not looking for companies that are going backwards or will, you know, will stay steady. We're looking for businesses that are in industries that are definitely growing at, at sustainable rates over um, you know, the medium to longer term. Secondly, we're looking for quality over quantity. Uh, I know you, a lot of investors out there say that they're concentrated. We very much are a high concentrated uh, investment vehicle and, and the way we think is we'd rather own uh, fewer companies and know them better and understand what makes them tick as opposed to spreading ourselves too thin across uh, a wider range of companies. So uh, with that approach comes very much a long-term focus. Um, we don't look at really any companies unless we're looking to take a five-plus year view and we certainly do have investments within the within the portfolio that we've, you know, best part of a decade that we've owned them for. So uh, I think that makes us unique in, in the sense that we we very much are uh, looking at that longer term lens from the initial outset. So we can uh, make longer term assumptions around, you know, certain industry dynamics and how that should play out and compound mm. over time. Um, after that, I, I'd also focus on management alignment. Uh, we're very much big believers that if we're going to take a meaningful stake in a company, uh, we want the management teams and the board and whatnot, ideally to have a, a very much a stake alongside us because it is a partnership uh, in the way we think. And we think with that partnership and alignment with shareholders across the board and management team, it's just an obvious one whereby you can see synergies do occur over longer term. Uh, and it's also alignment in the way that they're thinking and, the, and their incentives packages as well. So as Charlie mm. Munger famously said, show them the incentives, you show them the outcome. Um, so that is also encompassed within that alignment focus. Uh, also liquidity, we're not big believers in being in the liquid stocks if we don't see the merit to do so on, on justification for their own means. So we're happy to take, uh, I suppose, liquid positions and be there for the longer term. Uh, and our investment vehicles allow us to structure our investments that way. Mm. We're also we also ignore the index, so uh, there's nothing. Even though we are benchmarked against the small ordinaries index in terms of performance, we don't. Uh, we certainly don't look to try and replicate that. And many of the companies that we do invest in aren't even in any indexes at all. So investors should not expect a index-like return of any nature from uh, what we've done in terms of the NAOS returns, historically speaking. And finally, mm. a very much a big one for us that we've built more and more expertise and skills, and I suppose uh, wearing out the leather doing wearing out the leather shoes doing so is around uh, constructive engagement and partnership with our investee companies. So, as I mentioned, we are often quite uh, very you know substantial shareholders, often the largest shareholder. We can take 
20 plus percent in a particular company. And with that longer term approach, we're not just there to be a financial sponsor. We want to be able to add value in terms of where we, where we think we can, whether that's putting ourselves on the board, uh, whether that's, in, uh, I suppose, recommending certain independents that can add value in certain areas to those boards, uh, constructive areas of, of growth capital, uh, as well as certain, I suppose, investor uh, relations and, and capital management and initiatives as well. Anywhere we think we can add value without overstepping the mark, um, we think that works well in terms of the NAOS, the NAOS way of thinking. So to summarise it all in, in three words, I'd probably say it's conviction, long-term and aligned. Mm, I like it. Um, anyone that's run a small business or even a medium-sized business would know the value of having an aligned long-term shareholder that has capital behind them because it's not, yeah, it, it sounds great, but it actually is a wonderful thing. For example, when you do want to grow or if you need the money, it avoids you going to other extremes that will be so much worse and a huge distraction for your business to know that there's someone that is sitting on the board that is aligned and in the boat with you rowing in the same direction. One of the things that I know for sure is that a lot of people, when they start yeah in small cap investing is they struggle to go from like the 2000 plus companies that we have here in Australia um, and then filter that down to some type of list or you know I guess just even know where to start because a lot of the the screening tools don't always work in small caps because the data can be sometimes not as reliable but I'm curious how you do that so how do you go from was a conviction aligned, and was it constant? What was this, the long term. Long term. So, how do you go from the universe, which is quite a big universe, um, to then go down to like in your process, you got security selection. Then, what happens from there? Like, how do you? Let's talk through that. Sure. So, as you mentioned, there's I think it's closer to three thousand now, which is quite a scary number at the high level when you hmm. think about it. Uh, so firstly, we would screen for company size, um, anything that's too big or, or simply too small. There's a lot of companies out there that would have a market cap of sub 10 to $20 million that you know mm. we would have never heard of. Uh, we also screen for certain industries um, that just aren't in our circle of competence, putting aside any sort of ESG uh, screens. We're just talking about things like mining and, and whatnot where we just don't have any circle of competence uh, and we're happy to steer clear of. We also look for businesses that need to be actually generating revenue. Uh, there's a lot out there that that may not, and I think it's really important to know how a dollar of revenue th flows through your business, uh, and you've got repeat processes around that. So that's an important one, um, and also unsustainable balance sheets. So very much a focus of ours, and this comes into margin and sa of safety, which we'll no doubt touch on, is having business. Uh, sorry, balance sheets. I should say that have adequate levels of cash and also not uh, not having a debt burden which uh, can penalize that company and we've certainly seen historic history shows that um you know, you know, high levels of debt is probably mm. the main company killer um, throughout any sort of tough economic time and we certainly look to steer clear of that um, so from that two odd thousand that probably gets us down to a you know a, 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 I suppose at a universe of between two and three hundred in terms of what we think about and then we then, uh, I suppose, dissect that further um, through management and culture, uh, valuation, growth, and, and margin of safety, as well as an ESG lens, uh, mm -hmm. which then gets us down to about a 50 to 80 company uh, wide, let's call it watch list, that's of our universe of companies uh, that we would obviously keep close tabs on. Uh, we have 
roughly a thousand meetings, company interactions a year across wow. a wide range of companies, uh, whether they be what we own and or, or not own. So we certainly do like to to keep abreast of what is happening and, and see what else is out there that may come into our universe or may leave our universe. But uh, that fifty to eighty is is where we, I suppose, where we look to fish from. Would you have contact? Would you have met all of those fifty to eighty at least once? Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, so I would think. Of the 50 to 80, we would have known them, those companies, uh, for, for some of them for many, many years and met management teams uh, mm. numerous times over the years. So we certainly do have uh, interactions with those company teams. Mm. How do you guys divide and conquer? Because that's like obviously too much for one analyst, but how, how, do, you, how do you think about like sharing the research burden across the team? So I would, I'd probably say that we're very, very collaborative across our whole business um, but when it comes to specifically on the investment side we can divide and conquer but equally as well we want to be across the different companies uh, everyone you know ha- has a certain level level of knowledge uh, of what we hold and what is in our universe so we've we you know in reporting season we've just come through that we would have seen a few hundred companies uh, during that period of time uh, often often more than once so Ideally, from my perspective, I like to go to meetings with at least one other person on the investment team to, you know, look to balance out our thinking and ask different questions and and compare notes and contrast. Uh, But yeah, yeah, this is what we do every day. So um, Mm. there's plenty of uh, plenty of plenty of time to to meet certain companies over the over the you know course of a year. As I said, we we get to about a thousand. Yeah, I've got one more question on this, which is just like your process around. Um, and more just like actually how do you take notes like do you take like you obviously have a lot of you have to take a huge amount of notes do you take them like during the meetings do you do recaps afterwards like how do you do that practically fit all of that in yeah so it would depend on the on the situation i suppose if it, uh, but yeah we use a software called evernote which um oh yeah yeah, which is good for what we what we do, and we certainly do have you know extensive uh, history of notes, which yeah, personally I find extremely valuable to go back and check. Uh, and, and when we look at you know, factor that we've uh, briefly touched on there in terms of management uh, as a quality of management team that fits in within within our investment uh, process, seeing consistency over time and seeing whether um, yeah, I suppose what they've said they've actually gone and done or whether their strategy has changed is extremely important for. Uh, what may come in the future so having that extensive notes uh, mm. library i suppose from a, a wide range of sources it also helps with market dynamics and in industry understanding it is, is to compare and contrast over the years to what uh you know i suppose what we've learned and what we've heard uh in the past seb has told me that management obviously is like a key pillar um but also that it can be a point where even if people that have a lot of conviction in a business, like a lot of skin in the game, sorry, they can still make mistakes. So I'm curious how you gain conviction when you could have 20% plus shareholdings in these businesses and plan to hold them for five or 10 years. How do you actually gain that conviction uh, in the people that run it? So, yeah, I I suppose I come back to that comment I just made around consistency over time and and, and transparency Mm. of their strategy and their communications with us and, and all shareholders one thing i would say is if uh, if information is good or bad uh, we don't you know we don't mind clearly we would prefer good 
But as long as you're consistent and you're transparent, I think it's it's far worse to not be transparent about bad news. I think you can tell a lot about yeah. the management team if and when they have bad news to discuss. Um, but look, it, it's an art, not a science, and it's probably something uh, we've you know you get to know companies over the years. There's some companies in our universe that we may have you know, had contact with and, and had a relationship with for you know best part of a decade, and we may never have invested, but you can see that they've uh, that what they've done over that period of time. It's also, uh, I suppose, what you can uh, learn from management teams and, and, and learn throughout your journey with a particular company that might actually be a red flag. So I, I remember one specific example back to when we, uh, Sebastian and I did a site visit over in uh, interstate to another com- uh, to a company of ours that we held at the time. And we actually came back and um, just, the, just what we saw and, and just the kind of softer th- side of things from this CEO, uh, there's no there's no science to it. It was an art. We just didn't see that that uh, individual had the cultural respect of the company and, and we came back and over a short period of time sold every share. So <laughs> to answer your question, it is hard. You gain conviction over time and seeing what they've delivered upon and, and how their alignment works with, I suppose, with us as shareholders. Mm. You briefly touched on one thing there, which was ESG. I just, just want to double click on this. How do you guys implement that with small caps? Like what are you thinking about? What do you exclude? Anything like that? Yeah, so there's a, uh, yeah, I suppose it's a framework that we've built over time and we continue to iterate. So there's no, by no means are we perfect, but we're, we're certainly looking to um, improve that over time and, and have done so. Firstly, there's a negative screen. So there's industries that we just will we'll steer clear of. So uh, oil and gas, tobacco, anything with dangerous weapons, yeah, gambling of, of that nature. So, so that is mm-hmm. that is step one. And I know a, yeah, a lot of companies uh, w- would do such a similar thing as well in our space. Uh, we then think about what, uh, I suppose, what's the positive angle that certain companies are bringing from an ESG lens. So um, we see how they're actually adding value to their staff members and, and their employees and the environment and the stakeholders within their overall business. And a way that this is tangible from our perspective is, uh, every year we provide investee companies with a questionnaire, a detailed questionnaire that they, you know, we expect them to fill out uh, and, and respond. And then we sub- we sometimes, uh, sorry, it, we, we do publish every year in our, in our annual reports a selection of those particular results that we've, hmm. um, yeah, w- we've received from the company and our views in terms of where they can improve. Uh, by no means are, are all the companies perfect. We're all on a journey with this, but it's it's really pleasing to see a lot of these small companies have improved their processes and their ESG uh, framework over time as we've continued to provide them with this questionnaire. And and, and that's actually something that's quite powerful from our perspective is mm. is, uh, is seeing that change happen. And um, I suppose the last thing to there, which something we're very proud of in this space is uh, we've just been recently certified as a B Corp company within the Australian I did see that. Cap. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's great. So. Yeah, yeah. No, we're, we're happy. We're very proud of that. And it's obviously something that we need to continue to live up both internally and the way we operate externally as well. Mm. It's interesting speaking to you and Seb over the years um, and having an understanding of not just the way you guys conduct yourself from an investment perspective, but also from like a business perspective and seeing how culture really matters to you. And I don't just mean this from a, like everyone talks about culture and blah, 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 but actually you, you want the culture reflected in the companies that you're operating, you're investing in as well. And I, I think that's very unique in that 
a lot of people say it, but not a lot of people live it day to day, but you guys definitely do. So we've got the, the fun part of the conversation, mate, which is like two companies that um, you can at least bring to myself and listeners' attention. I have no idea what you're going to say, but uh, for anyone that's interested, they can come along to the, the free events that Naos is putting on as part of the roadshow. Links in the show notes, major city near you. Come and chat with Rob, chat with Seb and get the full story. But um, if you can just give us a bit about these businesses, what they do, how you come across and what you like, and then um, people can chuck them on their watch list. Absolutely. Not a problem at all. Uh, I might just say that yeah, anything I say is obviously general in nature. Absolutely. So these, are, these are by no means um, recommendations. But but in terms of the first one is is a company called Maxi Parts. It's a it's got about a $140 million market cap company. So it's very much a, a you know an emerging company in that sense of the word. Uh, it is a aftermarket provider of commercial uh, vehicle parts, particularly to the trucking industry. So think about it from your own perspective as a consumer. If you've got a, um, you know, your car, you need to get a replacement battery, you probably go down to super cheap auto uh, mm-hmm. and you buy a battery and you, and you don't particularly care what brand of battery that is. You just need a battery on the spot and, and that's cost effective. The same thing happens in the commercial space whereby uh, if you have a truck that you that you know, is your revenue generation tool, uh, you need to clearly have replacement parts for that over time as they, you know, they freight across the country, axles, uh, mud guards, anything like that. Uh, instead of going back to the the original purchase, uh, the OEM, the original equipment manufacturer, you you may go to a uh, aftermarket provider of all these particular parts, and there's certain specialists that bring in. Parts mm. all over from all over the world and, and distribute them in Australia. And Maxi Parts is is very much one of those, uh, yeah, a very much a, a premium and kind of I suppose nationwide leader in this space. And it's a business that we we've known for quite some uh, period of time. We actually know the sector reasonably well. There's a, a listed peer supply networks which um, we've invested in over the years, which is a, a fantastic business. Maxi Parts itself was part of a a bigger, uh, I suppose, bigger business that had, in our opinion, quite a poor uh, division that was capital intensive. Uh, we kept tabs on this company for many years and, and were very pleased to see that finally they divested the capital intensive business and what was left behind was, this is in 2021, 2022, what was left behind was a pure play uh, aftermarket distributor that was very capital light and run mm. by a, a high quality management team. So that was, in our opinion, uh, something we've been waiting for for a long time and we're very happy to um, you know, do our work at that period of time as well and then, mm. and then make a substantial investment in this company. That was the um, Maxi Trans part, is that right? The, Maxi, the trailers part of the business? Very much so, yeah. That was the trailers part that was divested a couple of years ago and there was a, a, a legacy uh, revenue agreement there that, that is you know, coming to an end. Um, but just in terms of industry tailwinds for this sector, but specifically for maxi parts, because they, they dominate the trucks truck space as opposed to supply networks, which as a, as a focus in buses, uh, the, the truck fleet in Australia, the age of that truck fleet just is going up drastically, which is, yeah, it, I suppose it's something that may not be that well understood by the market is the average age of a truck in Australia is now 16.3 years. This oh, has wow. been... Yeah, it's one of the highest in the developing uh, yeah, amongst developing nations, and that uh, that particular number has, uh, I suppose, rapidly increased on a relative basis to what it was before since COVID, and 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 we we now face a I suppose a, a challenge whereby 
we need more than 10 years of record sales of trucks just to simply get that back down to a yeah 14 and a half years which is by no means yeah a good result either way oh, wow. uh, so so with more more and more yeah i suppose older trucks on our road they require more maintenance uh, they're going to break down more and therefore more replacement parts to uh, to keep them running and we think that's a, a major tailwind behind the sector and specifically something that maxi parts can can benefit from uh yeah over the medium to long term Mm, fair enough. That's um. I've heard you talk about the business before, and you did a write up recently, um, for Naos and for the RAS site, which was um, touching on this and the the major aftermarket players globally. Aftermarket businesses, like for this for automotive industry, the the leaders and the winners in those industries have done exceptionally well. For folks that aren't up to date with the context, it's they've been a very very interesting businesses to watch over time. So that's one that we can definitely pop on the watch list. And uh, like you said, not a recommendation, but more so for people going away, do more discovery, go and attend a, a roadshow and find out what's actually happening uh, with these businesses. But mate, one more. What have you got for us? Sure. The second one is a company called Gentrack, which has got a market cap of about $440-odd million. And it's, it, again, it's within the NAOS portfolio. It's a software provider. Uh, it's got two different, I suppose, software uh, segments that it operates in provides the billing software for utilities companies. So think when uh, you get your exorbitant energy bill at the end of you know, every quarter, <laughs> uh, some of those utilities in Australia and, and, and in other nations around the world, the, the ability to actually provide you with that bill, uh, that software platform is, is, is a Gentrack software. And the second part of their uh, business, which is a, a far smaller operation is actually, uh, it's, a, it's a software platform that provides for passenger tracking throughout airports and some of the mm. major airports around the world, including you know, Sydney as an example, uh, all the passenger flowing that occurs or doesn't occur in some respects, uh, <laughs> all of that yeah, runs on the, the Gentrack software platform. And again, it was a business that uh, we, we, we have a reasonably long track record with. Uh, it listed in 2015, I think it was. It's been around for years before that. But when it listed, uh, it was a bit unknown. Uh, we we became investors in and, and think it's a fantastic software, uh, very sticky and very mission critical to the respective customers. Mm. Uh, and it went, it had a it had a good run back then. And we actually sold out when we uh, thought we saw a red flag in the in the management pro approach to capitalising research and development spend. Oh yeah, I um, for us that's a that's a red flag, and uh, we, we we sold out at the time. This is probably around the 2018 mark, and. Subsequently, it went from $6 to about a dollar um, as hmm. the, I suppose, the, the company unwound under um, a previous management team. We then, as I said, kept close tabs on the company and a new management team came in that we did a, a significant amount of work uh, getting to know through through kind of uh, calls with for former employees and, and whatnot to try and get a, an understanding of how uh, this particular CEO, Gary Miles, operated and what made him tick. Uh, and then we've um, made a substantial uh, we made a substantial investment um, a, a couple of years ago into that under a new strategy, which was a turnaround company that uh, turnarounds often take far longer and, and cost <laughs> yeah far more than than you expect. And we've got experience with that. But this was one of those very rare cases where the turnaround happened quicker and and far more cost effectively than than I suppose anyone was anticipating. <laughs> Particularly when you factor in that they've got a lot of operations in the UK. A lot of customers over there and there was a major energy crisis in the uk in 2021 22 where a lot of their customers actually uh some of the the non yeah i suppose 
non not well capitalized customers actually when they mm. went into receivership so they were fighting with that one hand behind their back and and the ceo managed to do a remarkable job turning this company around and where we sit today if you look across the basically all the world clearly the renewables uh new renewables trend is a fantastic one and uh, something that's going to benefit all of our lives and the planet going forward but where that does hit a small hurdle is in terms of these utility providers they're often uh, often sitting on very legacy software platforms and they're, they're not actually able to bill customers uh, in a renewables world world for instance if you have your Tesla at home and you and you want to put uh, energy back into the grid that offsetting cannot be handled by some of these uh, legacy software platforms in in major utilities out there so we think uh, there's a huge upgrade cycle that's occurring over the next yeah, probably three to five years um, that the market might not be understanding particularly well and that upgrade cycle is a churn event and when there's a churn event uh, a, a, a software platform like Gentrack which is built for uh, I suppose the renewables world should stand to benefit quite substantially over time. Hmm. I really like that. I didn't. I understood the kind of general thematic, but not that to that granularity um, around that that chain of act. Because, like you said, like when you have s- software like this that's deeply embedded and becomes mission critical, it's well and good to have that software and to have it installed. But the trick is growing it, like to convince others to to do it. And chain events create that natural tailwind of meetings and implementation and. Um, tenders and that sort of stuff. So that's really interesting, mate. Um, so these are two really interesting ideas. So we've got Maxi, Maxi Parts, and we've got Gentrack, um, two companies I know you've talked about for a long time. We've spoken about them previously too. Uh, but just a reminder for anyone that wants to come along to a NAOS event, we've got Adelaide, Melbourne, Brisbane, Newcastle, Perth, Canberra, and Sydney. Uh, in the next episode or next installment, the final installment of this, we'll be ch- chatting with Sebastian uh, and he'll be bringing us two more ideas. So come along. Uh, you can meet. Rob, and you can make Seb in person. Mate, thanks for taking some time out of your day and, and sharing this all with us. No worries. Thanks for having me on and look forward to seeing uh, seeing everyone show up at the roadshow. Cheers. Cheers. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.